welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Stay up to date with the Pillars of Health podcast by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as CoachJohnCarroll.com. All right, guys, today I'm talking to Brendan Rerick on the Pillars of Health podcast. Welcome, Brendan. How are you doing, John? I'm good, and uh, we're getting into the, the memoirs of a serial lover today with Brendan. No? <laughs> <laughs> the question's a lover of what? I'm a lover, I'm a lover of a lot of things. Maybe we'll go with ice cream on that one. <laughs> okay. We could do that for an hour. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, icebreaker today for you, my man. Something that came up, I was listening to a really good podcast called American Scandal, and they were just going over the whole Balco, Barry Bonds thing, so this got me thinking, and I want to get your thoughts on steroids in sport, and whether professionals should be allowed to use them through managed protocols. Man, ooh, that's a tough one. I, uh, I'm going to say no, because of what it does to the youth. Right. Would be my answer. Okay. I think if you could make it so that kids didn't have access or didn't do them, but if you're looking at someone as a mentor or someone you love, you're going to try to do whatever they do. Yeah. That would be my issue. I would love if all sports was an even playing field, that everyone just the option to make them. Uh, and then you don't need to like you don't need to guess who's cheating. It's not like everyone's on the same playing field, but I think it would ruin a youth sports and a lot of kids' lives. So, yeah, know, on that one. Cool, cool. Did you comment on what's your opinion? I want to hear yours, Matt. That's not so, fair. You can't <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely more to the side of, of agreeing with you because I think there should be some allowance because if you look at for example okay look at the tour de france and you know when lance armstrong won i think I, not, maybe it was his last one but basically they went back to mm -hmm. take his you know his medal off him and basically the top 25 guys were found to be juicing <laughs> and so it's like okay number 26 gets it but maybe we have a steroid uh, version of the olympics and then a steroid free version i'm not sure but i know that people will do anything to to win so it's hard to kind of stop that right number one we see a lot of your instagram posts or i see your instagram posts i'm sure other people do too about the books you're reading and obviously audible is, is a big part of that but i want you to kind of go through some of the books that really stood out to you in different areas and why okay so this is a, a very a deep loaded question, question. Yeah, i kind of want to yeah, I kind of want to uh, start with like a little maybe a, a, a debrief or a uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, kind of like a disclaimer. Right. Uh, I've read this year, I think I'm over 100 books now. Last year I was like 120. Everyone's like, why 100? I don't know. I picked a number that I thought was difficult to reach but also attainable. Uh, three years ago I picked 100 and I reached 77. Um, and I'm very much one of those people that when I set a number, that's something that I'm going to work towards. Right. And uh, I, these are not all paperback books. I do a lot of audio books. And the beauty about audio is that uh, it's really it's easier to be doing things at the same time. So my attention span uh, is not as 
low. For example, if I'm reading like a paperback book, I read one page and I'm like, ooh, uh, I need an apple. Ooh, <laughs> uh, what was that noise? Ooh, uh, I need to go to the bathroom. Whereas like audiobooks, you can be continually listening. Uh, and you can do, I do audiobooks in the car and on uh, whenever I'm doing cardio or I'm going for a hike. Right. And I read, I listen at one and a half to two times the speed so I can finish the book in half the time. And I'm in the car 10 to 15 hours a week. So that's an easy two or three books a week just in the car. Also, I always get the question like, uh, do you remember everything you read? And most certainly not, not at all. My One of my favorite quotes ever though is, uh, I cannot remember the books I've read any more than the meals I have eaten. Even so, they have made me. When that was Ralph Waldo Emerson. So like, yeah. you can't remember what you probably ate last week, but you, you being here today is because of what you've eaten and he thinks of books as the same way, and that's how I think about books. Yeah, that's a good um, point. And actually. I also, I love to read, and I understand that other people don't love to read, which is totally fine. So you can take in your your medium through movies, podcasts, classes, actually going and experiencing it. What I love about books is that it's 30 years of someone's life work distilled into 200 pages. Right. And so that's like, that's my big draw to reading and all that, but I understand that it might not be what everyone wants to do. So that's kind of like my little disclaimer start okay. um, and, and how I consume books and why I consume them. Now, I've, I tr you asked me to give you five books and that's way too hard. So <laughs> uh, I've expanded the list a little bit and I've also broken it up into uh, genres because a lot of people are, are not necessarily want to read just coaching and training or not just business books. Uh, I also put some fun and thought provoking books in there as well. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll go through them kind of quick, but I'll give you the lowdown on why I think each one is worth reading. So we're going to start with uh, leadership and business. Now I just read the book dare to lead. It's Brene Brown's new book and everyone mostly knows Brene Brown for her Ted talk on vulnerability. And she's written five books now. Have you read any of them? I haven't, no. No. Okay, so she, her big thing is this uh, this idea of how vulnerability is actually not a weakness. It's a strength. Uh, and being able to admit you're wrong, being able to kind of get rid of your ego and delegate to people who are better at you than things. And uh, vulnerability, especially as a male, because being vulnerable and uh, men usually equate that with uh, crying and being weak. Right. Uh, it, it's very. It's something that I need to hear more of. So I follow a lot of her work, and I've read all six of her books. And this is hands down for me my favorite. So the the book's called Dare to Lead, and she has a lot of stuff on creating values, and then challenging every decision you make about work and life through those values, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is um, very very pertinent to, especially when you're coaching. And you're like, I need more sessions. I need to put yeah. more hours in. And if you're going to have a family and a spouse and all of that, I think a lot of coaches especially have trouble because you're helping so many other people. We're not very good at uh, helping ourselves. Right, <laughs> right, true. right um, true. And, and so this book uh, really hammers that stuff in. And the next book's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And what I like about this book is it's written only in story form. Um, so they, they take an example company with a CEO that gets fired and they bring in a new CEO who needs to change the culture of the company. And they create this pyramid. So the bottom of the pyramid is trust. And then you get to accountability. 
and then staying in the room when you don't want to really be in the room, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you got to stay in the room because that's how you take action and that's how you dare to lead. So I think the book Dare to Lead is the science and the five dysfunctions of the team is the one that really like hammers home the point with a good story. Interesting. So if you're a leader or you're ever in business meetings or any of that, these those two books is where I would start. Okay. There's a, the next book is called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole premise of the book is that there's rock stars and superstars. And you need both. So superstar is the person that wants to, that does the extra work at home, that goes the extra mile, that has the vision and wants to lead people and wants to go to the next step and keep moving up the ladder. And then your rock stars are your people who are really, really, really good at one thing and they do it so damn well and they're better than everyone else. So for example, if you're, you have a software company, you have the people who are the business people and the leaders and the, the sellers of the product. And mm -hmm. then you have the people that create the software. Right. So you need those rock stars and you can't be a superstar without a rock star. But then she makes the point that what's happening with a lot of these companies is everyone's looking for superstars. And if you have 20 superstars in the room, nobody's being the rock star that's getting the work done. Right. So you need you need a, a handful of each, yeah. which is what I, I've never heard anyone put it that way. Um, and there's a lot of these corporate books out like Google and Amazon and all they talk about is getting A plus people, A plus people. And the problem they're having is keeping A plus people busy <laughs> and they're not spending enough time bringing on the rock stars who are A pluses in whatever realm is that they're good at. Would you say, would you say that that um, radical candor book has some kind of ties to the the e myth and how they approach it? You know, because they they talk about like different types of people as well. Yeah. So the e myth to me is more it's more about setting up your business. Yeah. Whereas radical candor is more about the people that you manage within your business. Right. So, I, I mean, if you were to read E-Myth, there's another book called Built to Sell. So, you create a business in order to sell it someday. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what E-Myth doesn't talk about that part really much. So, there's E-Myth, Built to Sell, and then I would say get radical candor, like you're saying, for your, uh, your managing or leading piece of the puzzle. Because okay. E-Myth, I don't think, goes into that enough. Yeah. The next book is Creating Magic by Lee Cockrell. And what I like about this book is it's every chapter ends with multiple action items that you can go in to each chapter and just like, ooh, so I like that idea, I like that idea, I'm going to start doing that in my business. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the action items are awesome. And I didn't know this, but uh, Creating Magic is about Disney and uh, running Disneyland. And Disneyland is the number one employer in America. They have 62,000 employees. Really? So the, the amount of systems you need to have, think about that. Every week you cut 62,000 paychecks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. And yeah, the amount of systems and stuff that you need to have in place in order for that to run well. And they, everyone talks about the Disney experience and how amazing it is. And they have five-star reviews by all their customers and all their employees that work there that that creating magic is about how he built that process over i think a 20 year period okay never split the difference by chris voss 
is a book about negotiating. And everyone hears the word negotiating, like, ooh, that's not for me. Like, I'll leave that up to the lawyers or people who do that for a living. And what I think people don't realize is that we negotiate all the time. And whether you're negotiating for people to give up time or people to give up money. So you, you negotiate with your clients, your kids, your employees, your coworkers, your family, your spouse. And you, for example, you had to negotiate with me in order to get me on here. Right. Because we had to go back and forth on like, well, I can't do this time. I can't do that time. And so you're always negotiating whether you like it or not. I only eat um, yellow M&Ms. I mean, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, uh, who was who the band where they they destroyed the uh, the locker room when they found a brown M&M? <laughs> had to be a rock band, was it? Yeah. It was a rock band. I loved that story. Uh, <laughs> basically, the, they had in the contract that if the room, if the bowl of M&Ms in the dressing room has any brown M&Ms in it, they're yeah. going to destroy <laughs> the room and then leave and rip up the contract. And so they came in one day, and there was a bunch of brown M&Ms. They destroyed, destroyed the place, broke all their guitars, and left and never did the show. Wow. Uh, because they wanted to make sure that they were paying attention to the detail. Right, right, exactly. Which... Yeah. Um, and then never split the difference as a, even if you don't want anything to do with negotiating and all that, the stories in there about how he negotiates with, uh, he was negotiating, uh, I believe for the CIA. So he had to negotiate with killers in Guatemala, like, uh, in Guam and Guatemala and convince people to not, uh, shoot people in a bank. He had to convince people to not jump off a building and like how he, his whole process and his questioning, it's, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the next book was Boss Life by Paul Downs. Did you read this book this year? I have it, and I haven't read it yet. Okay. So, yeah. okay, what I love about this book is if you're an entrepreneur and you have your own business and you're trying to make money, it, it's very, very comforting to know that you're not alone. Right. Um, and it makes you really think about, uh, it makes you think if you really want your own business, actually. Yeah. Um, so he runs a furniture business for 20 plus years. He has to hire and fire people. He has to travel, share all of his, uh, he shares all of his expenses, profits, and taxes every chapter, which I love because it's very, uh, it's very real and very candid. Mm-hmm. And it's an example of what real entrepreneurship is like. Not like we were talking about earlier, these big corporate companies like Facebook, Google, Coca-Cola, Nike, Starbucks. Like yeah. this guy's just, Likes to make furniture. He has four or five guys that work in his shop. He has a son with autism. He pays himself $60,000 a year. And then he shares all of his expense reports, like when he loses money, how he makes money, all of his accounting and everything. It's, it's amazing. I've never read a book like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, like the last business book, we're going to go Deep Work by Cal Newport. Okay. It's Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. Um, Really, it's not about getting rid of social media. It's about using it judiciously. Okay. So you either set certain times that you're going to use it or the way that you're going to use it. So you're effectively just setting boundaries for your phone and social media use. Yeah. Uh, and he says that we should be trying to block out 60 or 90-minute blocks once or twice per day where you have zero distractions. So turn off your phone, turn off your Internet. And if you want to get true, deep, creative work done – that's how you do it. And he, he's written three books. He's getting his PhD at Harvard. He has three kids. He reads 
hundred books or 50 books a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, how do you do it? How do you do it? And he does it in these 90 minute blocks. Yeah. So I, I think, and for me personally, what I started doing is with all of my social media stuff, because most of my stuff that I consume is on my cell phone. Right. I delete all of my social media apps as soon as I'm done using them. So that if I want to go on again, it means I probably have to have at least 10 minutes or more. I have to download them. I have to enter all my passwords again. Mm -hmm. And then I can go on to my social media accounts. Uh, and that really just... So now when I have five minutes, I'm not like picking up my phone and my head's not buried in my phone. Like exactly. I just sit and look like that crazy person that has nothing to do. <laughs> isn't, that, um, isn't that the go-to though? You know, I was in Starbucks this morning and it's the go-to, uh, I feel awkward in a social situation. So I'm just going to look at my phone. You know what I mean? Like nobody's yeah. just standing there and looking straight ahead, you know? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny when you delete all your social media accounts, you'll like go and pick up your phone and go to your, where it used to be and be like, Oh yeah, that's not there <laughs> that's anymore. Not there. Like what, what am I going to do on my phone right now? Yeah. The, uh, um, the, the part you mentioned about the creativity, I really like because I was speaking to Anna Akbari recently for a podcast and she was all about how to, you know, how to understand that as a human, we're not really designed to be like, okay, from two to 3 PM on Wednesday, that's my creative hour and I'm going to be creative, you know? It's no, you need to block off longer times and put away the phone and allow yourself to kind of get into something deeper instead of checking your phone every five minutes, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. You know, social media and everything on your phone, it's also kind of limiting us in some areas too. Yeah. And he, he shares an example in the book of what he wants to create these almost like shipping container, like, uh, places that you go so when you walk in there's like an there's an inspiration section when you walk in yeah and like things on the wall that people have created and pick and all sorts of stuff and then you go into the next room which is like a coffee break slash water cooler room and then you would go into the next room where there's a lounge or a cafe and then in the last area there's a bunch of rooms that you would just lock yourself in for 60 to 90 minutes and you have the option of having internet or no internet okay. and you just sit in that room it's a blank room you bring in a notebook or, or a book or a computer and like that's all you do for the 90 minutes and then you come out you hang out in the lounge you go to the water cooler and then you go back in for another 90 minutes and you would effectively be renting out the booths right i could see that take um, off yeah yeah i just thought it was a brilliant way to be like okay this is we're gonna just funnel you into <laughs> creativity hour exactly yeah uh, and you could rent those spaces out so those are my that, that was seven books for leadership and business yeah so you want to hit uh, oh just real quick before we move on to the next one um yeah. have you yeah. ever been to a dave Chappelle uh performance or stand-up show no so, i watched them but i have never been to one yeah so he whoever he's performing with i know he does it for sure there's a couple of other comedians doing it too but you have to give up your phone before you go in. Oh. Yeah, so you're more Like a coat check, but a phone check. A phone check. <laughs> phone <laughs> check, boo. <laughs> phone check. And uh, it just kind of leads to a more engaged audience, and, you know, people aren't scrolling while you're trying to tell jokes and you miss the punchline, you know what I mean? Right, right. That's brilliant, actually. Yeah. We should do that at seminars. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> For sure. Like, just have, like, the phone basket. Like, everyone put your phone in this basket. Exactly. Put it on airplane mode. So let's move on to your books for coaching and training. All right. So I got three books here. The first one is 
it's actually a parenting book. It's How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk okay. by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. Uh, what I like about this book is that it's mostly done in comic strips with situations that are absolute gold. So, for example, like one of the comic strips will be like, your kid's like, I don't want to brush my teeth. And then mom's response is usually, well, you have to brush your teeth. Do it now. And then it will go to the next one. It's like, well, this is how you, if you were listening, this is how you would respond. And then if your kid gave this response, this is how you would respond. And it's all done in a comic strip type way. Mm -hmm. And when you're reading the book, all day long you find yourself encountering these moments, even if you don't have children, just like when you're coaching or when you're at, uh, when you're shopping or interacting with other adults, you're like, oh, wow. Like, usually I'm just, I go right to no, no, don't do that. <laughs> no. And now you, you interact differently because you, these situations and you can go back and it's, like I said, it's a comic strip, so it's much easier to read than bullet point by bullet point. Okay. The next one is Go Wild by John Rady. For me, he goes into he goes into nutrition, uh, he goes into exercise, he goes into but he really goes into nature, which I haven't read any coaching or training books that go into the effects of nature uh, and what we gain from that and uh, biophilia and what which means uh, human connection to nature because that's kind of we evolved with trees and other animals and so therefore we have an affiliation to them right and getting out into nature is such a huge part of uh, get, being healthy and that a lot of people forget because everyone thinks just nutrition and exercise nutrition exactly. and exercise so he's got a lot of amazing stuff on nature uh and he also wrote the book spark which is how exercise primes your cells for learning and he has this, he, I don't know if he did the study or someone else did the study, but they took four groups of kids. Uh, they had a control group where they did nothing. They had one group exercise in the morning and then take their class in the afternoon, their hardest class, their most difficult class that mm -hmm. they were having trouble with. So say it's math. So they would exercise in the morning, take math in the afternoon. They had another group that would take their math class first in the morning without exercise because they wanted to see if the first class, are you the most primed in the morning before yeah. the afternoon? And then they did one where they did the exercise in the morning and they did the hardest class right after they exercised. And the kids that exercised and took their most difficult class, say it was math, right after were light years ahead of all the other kids hmm. uh, because exercise primes and fuels your cells to learn and be active and take in new information. Um, so that's the book Spark, and then his next sequel was Go Wild. Okay, that, uh, by that John Rady. That's just more more ammo for us to the people we come in contact with on a daily basis, you know. And um, yeah, I'm not sure if you saw the study. It, it was something similar to that, just not in relation to exercise, but the timing of food intake, right? So they they use like a local um, court. And people who were in court first thing in the morning before a judge got more lenient sentences compared to if it was right before lunch. <laughs> right. So yeah, just, it just was the if timing. the judge was hungry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was parole, right? Like yeah. 60% more people got off on parole as opposed to people after lunch or before lunch. Yeah, right? like first thing in the morning and after lunch were the best times to be seen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so ridiculous, that food. 
I mean, it's really decision fatigue, right? It is. It is. That's so exactly food, what it is. Yeah. Food, yeah, food energizes us. And you're like, oh, I can make a couple more decisions now. And right. then you're just like, ah, oh, shit, I'm tired. I don't want to make any more decisions. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, and you just <laughs> shut down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Last, the third book is Back Mechanic by Stuart McGill. And what I love about this book is I'd read his other books, which are very scientific mm-hmm. and uh, can be very difficult to read. They're great, but difficult to read. And this book's written for your client. And it's very simple to read. There's lots of pictures. And even for the coach, I was like, this is the best thing I've read on backs as a coach and trainer in my entire life. Okay. It's very simple. Like I said, you can hand it to your clients. I've given it to two of my clients and bought it for them. I'm like, listen, you got to read this book. It's got sleeping in it. It's got uh, how you should open a door, how the back works. Um, in very plain and simple terms. Mm, I'll have to check that so out. So Back Mechanic by Stuart McGill. Okay, so fun, thought-provoking books. Homo Deus, uh, a, bra- a Brief History of Tomorrow by Yuval Harari. It takes you from the recent events over the last five years to what he believes the culture will be like in the year 2025. Okay. Or, two, sorry, 2250. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> 2000. 250. I mean, that's hard to even say because it's, it's so far out. Right. It's 250 years from now. And just the thought-provoking or the, the thinking that you do while you read this book is just mind-blowing because he goes down these rabbit holes about, you know, the possibility of robots and will we even exist anymore? Like Stephen Hawking believes that in a thousand years, humans won't even exist. Um, will the Earth exist? Like... There's just all these question marks that if you want something that's interesting and thought-provoking, Homo Deus is the place to go. I will say when you read it, read it with a uh, understand that he has a very much a cultural view of why everything exists. And right. he never addresses biology or, or genetics, really. No, he, when... he, he references genetics from the perspective of, of that we're trying to change them. But he doesn't recognize that, like, we have human innate qualities that lead us to things as well. He's just completely about whatever culture you live in is the way that you're going to act. Right. So does he? There's are, a little bias there. Yeah. Does he bring up any points about the future which, like, really took you by surprise that maybe you hadn't considered? I don't think it was anything I haven't considered. Um, he has his own, obviously his own points of view of like what he's very much a pessimist. He doesn't, he's not on the optimistic side (laughs) (laughs) and I'm very much personally, I'm a a rational pessimist is what I would consider myself. Okay. I, I look on the negative side of things. Sometimes there's a wonderful book called the upside to your dark side, Mm. which is all about how being a pessimist is actually not a bad thing because pessimists are the ones who plan everything and they prepare for everything. Because if everyone was an optimist, the whole like your whole world would just be in shambles. Because optimists would be like, "Oh, my house is on fire. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> like it'll be all right. Like don't worry about the house. Like who cares? Like right. we're we're okay. We'll stay here. Like no, the pessimist is like you. You have house insurance. You protect your house from fires. And when it's on fire, you get the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's this. Yeah. So if you are a pessimist, you're not a bad person. I, forever, I was like. I got to be more optimistic. I got to be more positive. And it's right. just, that's not my personality. And then finally I read this book and I was like, oh, wow, it's okay to be a pessimist. No way. Like 
obviously there are times where I take it a little far and I need to be a little more positive. But, <laughs> it's it's kind of like um, how the, the whole, though, you know, introvert, it's like, you can't be an introvert. You have to be an extrovert. And it's like, right. and then later on, I'm seeing a series of books, especially like Quiet come out, and it's like, it's okay to be an introvert. Yeah, and, and I love that book, Quiet, where they talk about how everyone at Harvard is an extrovert. Yeah. Because the only way you get through Harvard is because Harvard's grades are all about participation. Um, there's yeah. no written grades, there's no papers to hand in, there's no theses. It's all just how much do you participate in class, which is, again, it's biased towards anyone who has an uh, a extrovert personality. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, he's a pessimist. He has a very much a cultural view, but he has a take on things that really makes you think. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight is one of the most well-written books I've ever read. It has amazing analogies very vivid descriptions and the the story about how Nike went from where it was and he would invest every dollar he made back into the company for 30 years wow. before he ever made his first million dollars and now it's worth billions of dollars but right. the fact to have the cojones to put every dollar you've ever made for 30 straight years back into a company that you don't know if you're going to make any money back off of is mind-boggling to me, and that's one book that I could not get out of my car. Right. Where, so I'm listening to it on audio, and I just sat in, in the garage for like 10 minutes, like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> okay, so number three, we already talked about the, the pessimist, the rational pessimist. There's a book called The Rational Optimist, hmm. which it's by Matt Ridley, and I really like this book because it's the complete opposite of my personal viewpoints which I sometimes need to hear. Yeah. Basically, everything in the world is getting better, even though everyone, if you look at social media, and like the world's coming down. Yeah, exactly. Everything's getting better. So I just have a few examples here. Deaths from natural, natural disasters over the last 100 years has decreased by more than half. In the last 20 years, the proportion of the world's population living in extreme poverty has almost half. In all low-income countries across the world, 60% of girls now finish primary school. 80% of people in the world now have some access to electricity. And life expectancy across the world is at an all-time high at 70 years old. Yeah. So we're doing pretty good for ourselves. We are. We've come a long <laughs> uh, way. We've come a long way, even though it looks like there are some things that are you know, coming down and it's not all roses what's happened in the last hundred years like we're living in the most amazing time you could ever live in do you, do you think that's probably um, a lot to do with just the vast amounts of information available to us at our fingertips now whereas before it was like you know you had your tv station or your, your tv at home with maybe five or six channels and that was it you know what i mean like we didn't yeah, know it, all the time what was going on it's and it's funny you mentioned that because that's partly my answer to your your what we're we're going to speak about later on where do i see the industry going okay uh the fitness industry because everyone does have so much information now the consumer is well we'll say the consumer is much more informed but they're also bombarded by multiple different sources that are saying different things so who the hell do you believe right and we can talk about that later. So yes, I think that's the partly the catastrophizing that goes on a lot is one, the information that we have. Two, it's that you surround yourself by people who have similar thinking. 
So if you surround yourself with a bunch of people uh, and you're always reading about the disasters, uh, that's how that's what you see in the world. You're, you're not if you don't have access or people that you follow to, aren't promoting positive things, you're not going to have a lot of positive things in your life because you're talking to people who have a lot of negative things. Right. Um, which is why I said I needed to read this book, Ap- Rational Optimist, because it's the complete opposite of my normal viewpoint and probably a lot of the people that I spend my time with. Okay. Um, so it was very, very good for me to read. So yeah, if we're living in the best time in the world, even though it may not sometimes seem like that, and he talks about how it's only going to get better, which is very like, it's very much the opposite of Homo Deus as well. Because he's talking about what he thinks will happen in the next 250 years, which is we may not exist and we're going <laughs> to crumble into ourselves. Whereas the rational optimist is like, no, I think we're going to be around and we're going to be living to 100 and we're going to have happy and healthy lives. And you're like, okay, so like, how do I meet? <laughs> how do I meet somewhere in the middle, right? Like, how do I, how do I have my moderation? Everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. Kind of type thing. So yeah. those two books, that's why I wanted I want people to read both. So then you can kind of be on both sides of the coin and then make your decision from there. Yeah. That's as opposed it. to just reading the viewpoint you like. That's a good suggestion to have a little bit of both in there, yeah. Okay, last one. Conspiracy by Ryan Holiday. The best piece of journalism I've ever read. The premise of the book is that there's a billionaire who obviously billionaire, lots and lots and lots of money, who feels they've been victimized or slandered by this website. Uh, it was called Gawker. It doesn't exist anymore. But basically what Gawker did was take any type of personal information that they found out about you, and they posted it online. Yeah. So we're talking like sex tapes, if, you, if you're if you gay or straight, uh, or your sexual orientation. And that's what happened in this case. It was the billionaire is gay, and Gawker posted a picture of him with his boyfriend and then outed him and he had never come out and publicly said that he was. Okay. And so this website took it in their own hands to put out there that uh, someone else's personal information. And then what happens is they, he's really pissed about this, but there's not a lot you can do with these websites because of freedom of speech. Yeah. Because it's the first amendment. So is it the first or the fourth? Uh, whatever. One of the amendments. Freedom of speech. I'm a citizen. I swear I know. <laughs> oh, God. I know. That's sad. I should know that. But, yeah, so the the, the there's a lawsuit that um, Hulk Hogan has a sex tape. Oh, I saw somebody it on else, Netflix. Yes. 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 Hulk Hogan has a sex tape, and they somebody posts it on this website, and they keep posting it and posting it, and Hulk Hogan would, didn't even know about it. Somebody secretly filmed him. Right. And posted it. So, like, Hogan sues this website for slander and that this company's, their thing is, like, no, it's freedom of speech. Yeah. And what happens is is this billionaire secretly is funding all of Hulk Hogan's uh, lawyers. And Hulk Hogan has the best lawyers in the world, but he doesn't have billions of dollars. Right. He has millions, but he doesn't have billions. So what happens is, is this guy, the billionaire, stays silent for 10 years, Oof. which is the conspiracy part of this. Like, yeah. can you imagine for 10 years being silent and waiting for your opportunity to take this thing down? Right. So they, Hulk Hogan wins the lawsuit. The company has to go bankrupt. And then the question becomes, they find out that this billionaire was funding everything. The question now becomes like, okay, so if you just have a lot of money, 
you can basically win any lawsuit and take down the government and the amendments. Um, so there's like this freedom of speech thing, and then this people with a lot of money have a lot of power type thing. Right. And at the end of the book, you're left to decide, like, do you want to be on the freedom of speech side? So, like, is anything I do in my private life allowed to be posted by somebody? Or do I want billionaires messing with the government because they have money that I don't? Yeah. And it's it's a brilliant book. It's a, a That's probably my top book of the year. Okay. For this year, and that's another one you won't get out of your car, or you won't be able to put down. That's a pretty good question to ask, regards like the freedom of speech, and because we kind of know already, like if you have a lot of money, you're already in a better starting position if you're, you know, funneled into the justice system, uh, right. as opposed to someone who may have, you know, a, a public defender or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, and that's what the book leaves you asking yourself is like, Oh wow. Like <laughs> I never thought of these things like that, but I would personally, I would not want something that I did that someone secretly filmed or, or caught me on tape and posting that on the internet. But at the same time, then the other camp says, well, don't do it then. Right. But could you imagine if your whole entire life you had a camera on you, like, Right. Well, there, we kind of right? do at the moment, right? We, we do. Well, I mean, we kind of do at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a, it, it's a real. That, again, that's one of my fun, thought-provoking books. Yeah, that's kind of like the Truman Show, just actually playing out. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's uh, that's what we got. Those are you got a lot of books for your 2019. So I'm going to encourage everyone here. That was 15 books. So you have a book a month next year. Awesome. Really good insight on those and a lot of good suggestions in different areas. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. And the First Amendment is freedom of speech. I was, I was correct. You're right. You're I right. am a citizen. I didn't ask that because I wanted you to look it up and make sure you were correct. So <laughs> That'll teach me, right? Man. Awesome. All, All right. right. So uh, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. Brandon, thanks again for joining cool. us on this one. Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. And uh, guys listening, thank you for checking out the Fourth Health Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes to get a chance, and we'll catch you on the next one.